More than 200 schools have now joined the government's flagship scheme for improving education, but hundreds more are opposed to it or are taking a wait-and-see approach. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme investigates why opinion remains split over a programme that promises extra pay for teachers and principals and a new era of collaboration between schools. The government's plan to spend $155 million a year raising children's achievement by paying some teachers and principals more has divided the education sector. The scheme known as investing in educational success would bring schools into groups to work together on common problems. Depending on who you talk to, it's either the best thing to happen to schools in 25 years or a Trojan horse that will sneak in a new era of coercion by central government. But its full implications go a lot further than most people realise. I'm John Gerritsen and in this insight I find out why teachers, principals and researchers are so polarised. Captain Kev and the Potters were now sailing the seven seas. They loved the wide blue sky and the deep blue sea. They loved the salty sea air and the sense of adventure. It's no pirate adventure, but investing in educational success is potentially a huge change for schools. And in Blenheim, they've plunged into it with gusto. All 21 schools in the town and surrounding area have expressed interest in coming together to form what's known as a community of schools. Their group is one of 29 covering 222 schools that have so far put their hands up for the scheme. Each cluster will choose common problems or challenges to work on. They'll then set targets and select one principal and several teachers to lead that work and advise on best practice. Those plans and appointments have to be approved by the Education Ministry, which then provides the funding, about half of it in the form of extra pay for the lead principal and teachers, and the remainder to cover relievers for those staff. When I visited Renwick School just outside of Blenheim, the principal, Simon Heath, told me his school's cluster is one of the first cabs off the rank. Yesterday our, our whole plan was in the Minister's hands. So you know, we're the first one apparently to uh, get our, our whole proposal submitted. So what is it these schools are planning to do? The two challenges around literacy and numeracy, and it's simple, let's raise the student achievement to the BPS target, which is 85%, but of course we want to aim higher than that. That's 85% achieving at national standards for the Achieving at national standards, yep, and NCA um, achievement, NCA level 1, level 2 and so on, we want to push that bar right up as far as we can. Um, with regards to the third sort of, we we'll call it a third dimension, we, we talk about a well-being kite. In other words, we, we feel that if we get all of our students um, attending on time, that we deal with any behaviour issues, so we're not having those stand-downs and suspensions, we feel that's sort of the foundation to grow the literacy and, and numeracy learning and achievement. Simon Heath says Marlborough schools have worked together closely for many years, so it was easy to form a community and he says the scheme is already changing things. We've always thought about that five-year-old starting with us and us getting them ready for secondary school. Well, our, our mindset has changed now. Our mindset is when that child starts with our school, we now invest in them to get to NCA Level 3. So we're investing from five to 18 years and beyond because the next step for us will be looking at what are the pathways beyond school. Simon Heath has high hopes for the plan. In our view, as a working group, we've discussed this a lot, it is the most significant educational initiative since Tomorrow's Schools in 89. 
Um, we see it as a massive opportunity to grow the quality of education that we're delivering to students across our region because it means that our best, our very brightest and best teachers are able to influence right across the community. And that's not to say that we've got really, really poor teachers. What I'm saying is that um, if someone in another school is doing some fantastic work in maths, then I want to know what that is. And so I want my staff to know just how good an impact they're having so we can share that. And if and we've got people here who are doing fantastic work in teaching reading, then they need to have the opportunity to share that across the other 21 schools as well. We're on the edge of town, so we're um, the largest contributing school in, in Blenheim. What age group's this classroom? Year three. At Springland School, the principal, Gaylene Beatty, is also positive about the scheme and the way it will help teachers spread good ideas. So in our school we'll have challenges that we've developed experts in and other schools will have other areas that they've developed challenges in. For example, um, Pacific Island children coming into schools is new to us so we will be relying on another school for their expertise to support us to meet the needs of those children and those cultural competencies that those children have. Um, rather than starting from a zero base, we can start from a, a school that's already rolling and already gone through those challenges. It means that our inquiries and our teachers can learn from each other. The Blenheim group is so large it will be treated as two communities and have two lead principals. Gaylene Beatty says she doesn't expect any trouble working with them. They'll be managing the expert teachers in the process. They'll be leading the challenges. They won't be leading individual schools, so they won't be in charge of me. Um, we'll be having a team, um, a lead team that supports those two people so we can make the best impact on our children. Um, you have your core subjects and then you got you can choose some. Like a language. And you can do like food tech or graphics or art. Marlborough Girls College is one of two secondary schools in Blenheim. The other is Marlborough Boys College, and both are in the community of schools. The principal of Marlborough Girls, Karen Stewart, says they'll benefit from working more closely with each other and with the surrounding primary and intermediate schools. We'll have a much better understanding in terms of what's happening in primary schools to be able to build on that. We've established two key challenges. One is literacy and numeracy. Well, we can learn not only what's happening in the primary schools and the intermediates and our contributing schools, but we can actually, for our students who struggle with literacy and numeracy, learn from them. But we're putting staff together in the same working environment to actually plan what those students need. And we all know that students come to learning at different times. So hopefully we'll know more about the individuals that are struggling with literacy and numeracy as they come to us as well. Karen Stewart says the schools are not expecting any repercussions from outside agencies such as the Education Review Office if they miss their targets. The targets are there so that we've actually got a definite goal that we're working towards and that our resourcing is actually targeted towards that. And I think we will hold ourselves accountable in some ways um, because we're talking about students, we're talking about learners and, and we want them all to be successful. But not everybody is so positive. I think some of their, their goals of getting 85% at or above national standard uh, is pie in the sky. I don't think we can do that. Gary Hilljard is the principal of Redwood Town School and just two days before I visited Blenheim, its board of trustees decided to leave the community of schools. 
It's going to wait and see if an alternative scheme the teacher union the Educational Institute is negotiating is a better bet. Gary Hilljard says he's not convinced the model is the best way to raise students' achievement. To me it's a wee bit of top-down and I think that we need to get at the, the chalk face with the, the students and put more um, support in with the students themselves. Um, it may mean uh, looking at smaller classes, it may mean uh, more teacher aid time to provide another adult in the classroom um, and uh, that would give class, uh, teachers more time to, to work with individual students that um, I think it's far better than a top-down model of someone as a lead teacher coming in and telling teachers how to do something, especially if they're not from that school um, and don't understand exactly how that environment and that community works. Gary Hilljard is also worried lower decile schools won't get a fair deal because they'll be held to the same targets as higher decile schools with children from richer homes and therefore better results. Especially if you've got a number of um, special needs students, there are, there are a number of students who have all sorts of um, needs because of home backgrounds and environment and support that are never going to be at national standards. Uh, and you, you work hard with them, and as long as they're making progress, I, I think that you're doing a good job. That's the same with our ESOL students, that you work with those and then you assess them against an English standard that... Uh, is not their first language and they're struggling to, to learn English. So, yeah. and, and you don't think a system of sharing the best teachers across a group of schools is going to help schools um, improve those sort of results? Oh, I'm sure it will, and, and I think we do that already. <laughs> I caught up with another Marlborough principal who doesn't like the scheme at a principal's conference in Wellington. Ernie Bootfeld is the principal of Havelock School. It's on the edge of the regions covered by the Blenheim community of schools and another in Picton, but chose not to join either of them. Mr Bootfeld says he likes the professional learning and development, or PLD, that underpins the scheme, but ultimately it's putting money in the wrong place. The notion behind IES, in terms of PLD and using that expertise within any given cluster, has, has huge merit, no problem with that. But it's a matter of making that money used uh, for the best possible advantage, rather than paying adults, which to me we should be um, doing as part of our job anyway. Um, why create this extra um, incentive, what have you? Um, I'd rather like to see the, the money used to make the, uh, the initiative work at ground level, close to children. It's just before nine in the morning and the principal of Campbell's Bay School in North Auckland, John McGowan, is welcoming children as a constant stream of cars drops them off. The school is part of the Mid-Bays community of schools, and John McGowan admits he was initially against the government's plan. I was opposed because I saw that this was quite possibly uh, the beginning of the end of the tomorrow schools reform with what I saw as a, a super principal coming in to have significant authority over the day-to-day -day practice of a, a group of schools. I don't think the IES was sold especially well by, by those responsible for doing so at the time because that was definitely the message that the, um, that the sector got. As time's gone on, there has been clarification. I think there's been movement on that also from, from the Ministry's point of view. And I think that they have a model now which is a lot more compatible with the way schools actually operate in the New Zealand environment. Even so, John McGowan is still concerned about the reliance on one principal to coordinate each community. 
there is an inbuilt Achilles heel, as far as I'm concerned, in IES, and that is the requirement where the ministry seems not going to budge in terms of the, the need for there to be one principled leader. It's not a terribly good model in the sense that it places huge burden on the principled leader and on their school, and I think that that's, that's a bridge too far. We have gone into it with our eyes open, but we do have some concerns about that aspect of the model. John McGowan says it would be better if principals had the option of sharing leadership of a community of schools or hiring someone from outside to take on the role. But that said, he's in favour of the scheme because it will provide more funding for teachers' professional development. Our cluster has worked for years collaboratively together with professional development, but this actually provides the cluster with an opportunity to get um, external money to help facilitate and grow that professional development both within schools and amongst the schools within the cluster. External money, but isn't that money going to a few teachers and to one principal? Uh, if, it's, if it's used correctly, it actually should be going to the students in the sense that the, the better professionally developed, skilled and talented the teachers, the better the learning outcomes for students should be. There are 15 new classrooms going to be built to replace these classrooms that we're walking past now. So, and that project has been let and it starts in about um, three months' time. And all of those classes will The Mid Bays community of school has already chosen its lead principal, Colin Dale from Murray's Bay Intermediate School. He'll be paid $30,000 extra per year and expected to spend two days a week working for the community of schools. He says that doesn't make him the boss of the other principals in the cluster. It's not a leadership job where people go in and say this is going to happen. This is a new uh, way of facilitating what's going to happen, making possible uh, things, not uh, in any way influencing what goes on in a school. Schools will still make their own decision what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, but it will be done with this discussion and sharing of ideas which will help inform each individual uh, principal's autonomy. Now, the uh, lead principal has no extra authority whatsoever, none. Colin Dale also says his school won't be losing him for two days a week. It won't work like that. Um, I won't be taking two days a week out of the school at all. That time will be aggregated in different ways. So, for example, when I go to a conference, instead of going on the school um, finances, I will go on that finance because it will be related to what I'm doing. So the two days a week is just time in lieu for me to have someone to write up some of the things I do, do this uh, arrangement of uh, observations we might have... There's this perception that good teachers in the classroom, for example, will be uh, taken out of the classroom. That's not our intention. Good teachers in the classroom will be given time, uh, but just like they have now, but it'll be paid for. Well, we share our stories once we've all written them, and then people give us critique, and Mr Dale gives us critique, and then we go back and we write. Writing is one of the areas the mid-bay schools will try to improve. Colin Dale says the others are maths, NCEA achievement and transition from school to work or further study. He says with those goals in mind, the principals will figure out together which teachers should get the cross-school leadership roles worth an extra $16,000 a year and also allocate in-school leadership jobs worth $8,000. So there will be in each school leaders 
at least two in every school here and more in the bigger schools. They will lead the in-school stuff. And then this cluster will have eight cross-school leaders. And they will, will still stay in their school, but they will be given time to go in other schools, arrange observations, uh, put together data to share with other teachers who may be struggling. Uh, in our case, they will be fixed term. Uh, and then as a new project comes in or a new idea that we need to focus on uh, becomes relevant, then that, that might change. Colin Dale says joining the government scheme makes sense. It's the best resource that we've ever had in my 39 years as um, in the profession. It's the best by a long way. And if children are going to benefit by it, why wouldn't we do it? It was a sunny day morning at the house of the three little bears. Other Auckland schools have also signed up to the plan, and the Comet Education Trust is watching their progress with great interest. Its goal is improving education across the city, especially for disadvantaged groups, and its chief executive, Susan Warren, says it's all in favour of collaboration between schools. But she says some low-decile Auckland schools are staying out of the government scheme because they don't think it's better than what they're already doing. They wanted to be able to, and some of them wanted to be able to be part of the um, IES process, but they were required to change what they were doing so much that, that many of them decided it just well, they couldn't do that. And I think that's a concern if it's going to be a successful process, that it, it needs to be able to incorporate things that have been working already. The Trust's strategic analyst, Alison Sutton, says the scheme may be missing an opportunity to deliver change throughout Auckland. If we had, say, ten clusters in Auckland and they're working on ten different things, how will we be able to see real meaningful scale and change? I hope that there might be some adoption of a common measure or two, a common target or two, so that we can really get experience of what it's like to bring larger numbers of students, larger number of schools toward you know, best practice, and from that we might get change on a meaningful level. It's, it's quite hard to say what impact it's going to have at this stage because it's in its very early days and the response from schools really hasn't been overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> and I think because it's actually quite a complex um, approach, uh, it, it marries... Cathy Wiley from the independent research organisation, the Council for Educational Research, also raises doubts. She says the scheme should help remedy the isolation and lack of support many schools suffered as a result of the Tomorrow Schools reforms of 1989, which made each school a self-governing, self-managing entity. It should reduce some of the isolation, depending on how people do it. I mean, if these communities of schools are working on things that really matter to the schools and they gain from it, that'll be great. If it just seems like they're put, having to put in a, a lot of work and get, get very little out of it, then it, it won't work. You know, what is good about this approach is it says you know, we want to focus on inquiry, we want to focus on the challenges you identify. It's leaving a lot of scope for the communities of schools and it's saying it's all about ongoing development. But Cathy Wiley warns there are bits missing from the scheme. She says changes are needed at all levels of the school system in order to get the most out of it.
The communities of schools doesn't really solve the issue of competition between schools. It's not tackling, for example, zoning. It's not tackling the um, fair allocation of resources in a given area. And it doesn't really tackle you know, how does the Ministry of Education work well with communities of schools or schools. You know, that, that, you know how do we get the shifts in that, in that relationship? You can't just have this thing on its own and expect great things of it. You've actually got to get it coherent with other things in the system. A University of Auckland education researcher, Brian Annan, is more positive. He's been helping schools work together in groups and with their communities in what he calls learning and change networks, and he believes the government scheme is on the right track. It's a conservative inroad. It's a start, and you need to start somewhere. The learning and change networks uh, strategy that we had was much more free-ranging, much more voluntary, and not as much um, bureaucracy and administration wrapped around it. But this is huge. This is the much bigger venture. It's not a little project. It's a, it's a transformational change for New Zealand's education system. Brian Annan says the communities of schools should be able to make significant improvements in students' achievement and quickly. In the Learning Change Networks uh, project, in three years, we got a 24% gain in national standards with priority learners across thousands of students. I think you'll see gains with some of these networks that are forming around communities of schools very quickly. If we don't see gains within nine months to two years, then what they're doing, they need to change it. And so I think that's another encouragement from government is have a go at this, try and get it right, and if you don't get it right, change what you're doing. Don't keep doing stuff that gets low results. And if education researchers are split, so too are the teacher unions. On Wellington's Willis Street, I can go up the road to the Educational Institute, which opposes investing in educational success, or down the road to the Post-Primary Teachers Association, which supports it. The PPTA negotiated changes to the scheme with the Education Ministry and last year its members agreed to include it in their collective agreement. The union's president, Angela Roberts, says it's in favour of the plan because it encourages collaboration instead of competition. We saw the potential from the very outset in the resourcing or the incentivising of collaboration between schools. We have seen the damage that decades of competition uh, has done to schools and we saw this as an opportunity to start rebuilding relationships between schools. When you have collaboration that's led by the profession within schools and between schools, then you have the opportunity for a whole system lift in outcomes for kids. Angela Roberts says the scheme's new roles for teachers are the sort of thing the union has been seeking for some time. This is long-standing PPTA policy that we want the opportunity for teachers to develop their leadership skills in a wide range of ways, not just going through um, to becoming principals. So we've got lots of young teachers who are quite excited about leading, for example, ICT in their schools, or integrated studies between science and social studies. I mean, you know, there's a huge potential for people to be leading, um, leading their colleagues in um, innovation and with sharing of best practice. It's a different story at the Educational Institute, or NZEI, which represents teachers, principals and support staff at primary and intermediate schools and early childhood centres. The NZEI's president, Louise Green, says the union's members rejected the scheme and refused to include its new roles in their collective agreement. She says it's a big change that the government sprung on the education sector without warning. The problem for us was that it came out of the blue and it's essentially as a total as a system change uh, that hadn't had any real discussion with the profession as a whole and it came with um, resourcing to key people, to, um, to the leadership roles, which seemed a long way away from children and their learning and the real needs of kids. 
However, the NZDI hasn't walked away from the deal completely. It's negotiating an alternative scheme known as the Joint Initiative with the Education Ministry. The detail is still being thrashed out, and so far it sounds similar to the government's model in that schools will form groups and focus on particular challenges. But Louise Green says joint initiative clusters will include early childhood centres, and there won't be one principal in charge. What we said was we needed to get out into the, in, around the countryside and actually look at what are the models of practice that are happening in New Zealand right now that are making a real difference for kids and their learning. And so that's what we've done with the joint initiative. And we've identified different types of leadership for different purposes and different people taking on different roles. So there isn't just one leader, there are multiple leaders. Louise Green says the funding for the scheme will come from the same pool as the Investing in Educational Success programme, but she expects less of it will go to individual teachers and principals, and it will also include support staff. It will be in the form of payment for various roles, but also the other resources that are really, really important um, to us, and that is the time, the time for us to do these things, and the uh, funding for professional development, because what we're actually expecting of, a, of people is collaboration, and collaboration is a skill to be developed. Louise Green also indicates the funding for each group of schools will be based on its needs, rather than on its size, as in the government scheme. And like those who support the government model, Louise Green has great expectations for the joint initiative. I think it's really exciting, really exciting for where we're going with, with education. And it's really a bit, um, coming back to the fact that we are members of communities. We, uh, yes, we work in a, a particular school or a centre, but actually we are members of a whole community. And it's actually, we care about the whole community. So I think this has got real potential as we move forward. At the Ministry of Education, the Head of Sector Enablement and Support, Katrina Casey, will not say much about the joint initiative. She says at its heart it will be similar to the government's plan and she's confident the two schemes will have a big impact. We're very, very sure that if we can get this up and running and get it going in the way that it has so far started and the way that those communities that are focusing on their achievement challenges are going, that this will work and we will start to see that those kids that have traditionally not done well in the schooling system, that they will be picked up, that we will see those kids succeed. It's not the first time a government has tried to improve the quality of education, but Katrina Casey says this approach is different because it covers children's entire journey through the school system. It's not uh, pepper-potting little bits of a journey. It's looking at the actual journey that kids in a particular community take. And it's also recognising great teachers and sharing practice. And it's recognising that if we can get teachers together and if we can get the great teaching practice shared, then we're going to find a way of increasing the achievement. So um, all of the things that the research says work best are inherent in this model. But that's not all. Katrina Casey says the basic approach of getting schools to work in groups could lead to major changes in the way New Zealand schools are organised and funded. This really could be the biggest systems change that we've had. 
probably since tomorrow's schools because you could potentially see quite a lot of scope for decision-making to occur at a community's level. Anything now that requires decisions to be made across more than one school, by and large, has to be done at the ministry level. And that really doesn't make sense when you think about it. So take, for example, decisions about uh, schools and, and how many you have and where you have them and whether you open them or whether you close them. Those sorts of decisions would be much better made across uh, and within communities of schools than by the ministry. Katrina Casey says groups of schools might pool their resources for special education or make decisions about the mix of schools in their area. So we might see in, in five years' time, earlier if communities are interested in doing so, where they might make their own decisions about what schooling they have within their community, what types of schooling they have, how many schools they have in their community, um, and there might well be incentives to help them to do that. If they decide that they might want to merge schools within their community or change the schooling, it might be that that generates savings for that community that they could put back into the education of their kids. Um, bit of speculation, but if you talk about five years' time, it might be those kind of decisions uh, could be made in a community. Katrina Casey says she's speculating about where the government scheme might lead. But the suggestion that more decisions could and should be made locally has been a common theme from education ministry leaders in recent years. And if it happens, the government's initiative will go beyond simply raising children's achievement to revolutionising the entire school system, for better or for worse. I'm John Gerritsen, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to share your thoughts on this programme, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philip Atolli, with technical production by William Saunders.